Welcome to Behind the Curtain with Nick Troon, the show where we sit down with theatre practitioners and get a backstage look at the creative process. On today's episode, we move away from live theatre and talk about film and the audience experience. We'll be talking with Ben Bible and David Stevenson Ralph from UNE Life about the Belgrave Cinema's upcoming screening of the Rocky Horror Picture Show as a part of their Halloween at Belgrave Cinema series. So without further ado, let's get on with the show and peep behind the curtain. Welcome to Behind the Curtain with Nick Troon. My name's Nick, I'm your host, and today I'm sitting down with David and Ben from Uni Life. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Why don't you introduce yourselves? We're giving yourself a side eye to see who should go first. Okay, I'll take the lead. Uh, my name's Ben Bible. I'm the General Manager of Operations at UNE Life. I've uh, been around for a while, love movies, love the Belgrave, have been involved with the Belgrave since about 2016. Yeah, and a fan of all things a little bit cult. Uh, my name's David Stevens Ralph. I'm the Cinema and Retail Manager for UNE Life. I have been involved with the Belgrave since about April last year. Over that time, developed a love for all sorts of different movies that I don't think I would have liked before going into it, but definitely developed my taste from there. If you haven't caught on already, today we're talking about theatre in a slightly different sense as Belgrave Cinema are screening the Rocky Horror Picture Show on Saturday 28th of October from 6.40pm as part of their Halloween at Belgrave Cinema series. Starting off, for those that have been living under a rock for the last century, what is the film all about? <laughs> you say living under a rock, it's funny, I was having a conversation with my dad about Rocky Horror just the other week and he said he's never made it all the way through. He sits down and he has good intentions to watch it and he falls asleep. He actually doesn't know the plot, nice. even though he knows everything about it. And he, I think he's the first one to mention it to me growing up and talk about, you know, how insane it was. And I know we'll talk about that later, just the cult following. But ultimately, what is it about? It's about a young couple just got engaged. A fantastic song accompanies that particular scene. And then they hit the road and they're off to see their good friend, Dr. Scott. Dr. Scott. <laughs> so he has seen it before. <laughs> so yeah, they're going along their way. The car breaks down and there's a light over in the Frankenstein house and they make their way over there and what they discover and this is where it really comes a bit loose is an alien transsexual from the planet transvestite played by in the movie the fantastic tim curry and what they ensue is a night of absolute madness with creation of a highly chiseled man coming to life escapades beyond what we should probably show at four o'clock in the afternoon (laughs) Um, meatloaf makes an appearance it's fantastic there's a lot of fun gore if i could put it Mm -hmm. like that it's not a horror movie by any means but yeah it's highly entertaining and it takes them through their eventual escape out of said house and all the characters intertwine it ends with a weird somber sadness Mm, what prompted the choice to screen this cult classic I think I'll take that one again (laughs) again gives me side eyes look I've always been a real fan of Rocky Horror one of the benefits of having the involvement in the Belgrave and having the Belgrave as part of UNI life is occasionally when there's not a lot of other content coming on the slate is you've got gaps and you think what can we do that the community would really like Mm. I'm part of the community and I really like Rocky Horror so back in about 28 2019, sorry, we actually put a screening on and the response was phenomenal. Like we filled up the cinema without even instructing the audience to do so. They really got involved with the theatrics of it all. So mm. for anyone who doesn't know on the Rocky Horror fan site, it goes through just these weird things that have cropped up over the years of things the audience do. So there's a scene where it's raining and the audience have newspapers and they put the newspapers over their head. During the wedding scene, 
they throw rice, but I am vetoing that for this particular screening. Thank you. Um, they throw <laughs> toast. It's it's a real party poppers, and you know anyone who doesn't know the classic song Time Warp, mm-hmm. I think they're probably living under a rock by all means. So they're bringing props for that. So it was a really really fun night, and we just wanted to do it again. We did it again last year, and it's Halloween. Uh, we're looking for the community to come through the doors when we don't have those bigger movies screening. It's a really important mm-hmm. asset in the community, the Belgrave Cinema. And so if we can screen what the community would like to see, that's what we want to be able to do. Any theatre producer who's even considered staging this show would know that the rights are incredibly exclusive. Uh, David, did you find any similar difficulties applying for the screening rights? The cinema setup is a little bit weird as far as approaching older sort of movies. So Mm. for the most part, it's usually a pretty straightforward process. And it just so happened that this was the case for this one, but occasionally you will be locked out of certain titles. Mm. So whether or not they have exclusive rights to stream on Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever platform it may be. Mm-hmm. But in this case, no, it was a fairly simple sort of process as we have actually done this one last year. So mm-hmm. we just said, hey, we want to do it again. And they said, yep, go for it. And so in the regular rotation of films, what does that rights application process look like? It really just depends. So we've, there's sometimes alternative sort of content, which is a little bit harder, which means you'll have to apply for new accounts. You'll have to state exactly what days and dates they'll be screening. But it's all basically part of a policy negotiation, which for the most part, we get out of the hard part of because we use a booking agent so he does a lot of the negotiation for us but it's all about how many times we have to show a certain piece of content during the day how many times we have to show it at night and that is why you may see restrictions on say a standard screening where we might only have one screening at a certain time during the day because that's when the distributor wanted us to play it. I think one of the points to make there is what it is whether it's on stage or whether it's on the screen it's art Mm -hmm. and so when people create art they're quite protective about the end user and how that is perceived by the end user so Mm -hmm. if you're looking at stage rights obviously it's a lot harder for the original content creators to be able to control what that looks like and I say this as someone who's seen a fairly amateur performance of Time Warp and was involved (laughs) in one in primary school so I think yeah when they're confident that it's locked and sold and printed like movie media is I think it's probably they're a lot more generous with what they can do. Beautiful segue. Ben you're a uh, big fan of this film I am a big fan of this (laughs) film. What draws you so closely to this? I mean I'm a big fan of a lot of films. Actually I look to you the first time I ever saw this film was with David's sister and she introduced me to it so she made me sit down and watch it and it's one of those things you know when someone talks about something so much you just don't really want to get involved you don't want to see it because we define ourselves by what we don't like Mm -hmm. rather than what we do like but I watched it I like ballads and stories I'm a big fan of Jim Steinman's music and Meatloaf funnily enough but you know that kind of ballad stories I do like musical theatre quite a lot and this is sort of at its finest it's Mm -hmm. got a real cult following and that's for a reason because it's just fun and it's silly fun that doesn't need to be anything more than that it does need to be high art we don't need to come over and interpret it so it's just a great night. The live part of it is getting together with friends. The songs are so well known and it just brings a group of people together like laughter and fun can. And so a question to both of you, what are your thoughts on the portrayal of sexuality within this film? So that cult following I was talking about, it actually was really driven largely by the queer community when it came out. It was really ahead of its time. It represents you know androgyny in the film, bisexuality in the film. Mm-hmm. And these are concepts that looking back today, we could look at it and cringe and think it's a bit tacky. But I don't think we could ignore the fact that the popularity of the film was driven by those queer communities. There's a story that I heard a couple of years ago about when Meatloaf was asked to sign on for it, and I lost a lot of respect for Meatloaf this day. And he said, I don't want to be part of that. That's weird. That's queer. I don't want to be part of that. And then he saw how successful it was, and then he Mm. signed on. So I think, you know, it's really driven an acceptance of queerness, but also if you don't have that frame of reference and you don't know what to expect, I remember the first time I watched it, and whilst it's in no means R-rated by any stretch of the imagination, it does allude to sexuality from the minute they arrive at the house. And, you know, some of the songs and the scenes, I think it introduces those concepts in a fun way. Yeah, I think as 
far as cinema, it was one of the first films that ever broke the barriers Mm -hmm. and brought those walls down and allowed people to actually watch content like that on a big screen. And I find even content now, it struggles to portray sexuality in a good way. Obviously, there's standouts that do it really, really well. And then there's some that sort of force it in there and it just doesn't work naturally. Especially in the span of a film where you've only got this hour and a half with these characters to try and create this relationship between them 100 percent, yeah yeah really complex nuanced concepts that are Mm. becoming even more prevalent and understood in society it's really hard you're absolutely right to put in a two-hour block and and it's very hard when you're looking at worldwide releases as well where certain scenes then need to be cut because of that so i find that is even more limiting for some of our big blockbusters where it could otherwise they could develop that full story of the love between two people but you've got even things like Lightyear Mm. when that was coming out they had to cut a scene in China, I think it was, just because there's a kiss. I think David wouldn't be David if he didn't connect Buzz Lightyear with Rocky Horror Picture Show. That was You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get in there somehow. Yeah. <laughs> now, actually, David, you and I talked a while ago about the experience of being in a live audience, especially post-COVID. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, so I attended the Independent Cinema Conference at the start of the year, and there was actually a presentation by a professor from the University of Technology in Sydney, and he basically had some insights into the cinema-going experience from a science sort of standpoint and bringing that to all the cinema owners so they could take, you know, some information back and see what they could do with it. Mm. And one study that he actually referenced was regarding a live audience that they actually monitored watching it. Mm. So basically, they did a example where they watched a piece of content at home, so they were hooked up to all sorts of machines that was monitoring their brain waves, all that. And they were monitoring for emotional response as well as engagement with the content. And what they found is people watching at home on a laptop, TV, whatever it may be, they disconnect a lot more from the content. There's always that element of, oh, the washing machine's beeping. I might as well just pause it and go do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, the oven just dinged. Better go check that. Oh, there's a knock on the door. There's all these distractions that you'll find. Mm-hmm. It's not a sealed sort of environment. Whereas when they took that exact same sample of people and they took them into a cinema environment, everything was accelerated. So they heart rates were accelerated, their brain waves, so the amount of emotional response they were actually getting from the content was all a lot bigger and it also matched the people around them. So the energy that they got pulled in from everyone around in the group. And this is very much the same experience for Rocky Horror, as you were saying about the live elements that we've seen in previous screenings. Yeah, right? absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I think Rocky Horror is, is good because it encourages people to mm. do it as well. So unlike other movies where it might not, even if there is songs that everyone knows, this this is one where it encourages you to get up, have a bit of a dance yeah. and have a go at it because other cinemas do this too. It's not us alone that screen Rocky Horror. Our lines were around the corner for well into the 90s. It was one of the longest running cult classics in, in the US, certainly. And you've been a part of the previous screenings. How does it feel? Well, look, Nick, I wore heels. And so uh, <laughs> when I say it felt good, I want to sort of put that in context. No, it was a really, really fun night. I went as Dr. Scott, so I was in a wheelchair and I had a uh, half suit and then the bottom half was the fishnets and a pair of ladies' heels that, bless, I managed to find in Armadale that would mm. fit me. But yeah, everyone's dressed up and there's people dressed up as anything throughout the movie. There's people just dressed up in crazy party outfits because during the time warp scene, that's what the guests all wore. The cinema manager at the time, he went as Dr. Frankenfurter, but during his surgical scene, so he had the surgical mask mm. on and the rubber gloves and we had one person from the Townies Association come as Rocky that night. You know, you just feel really comfortable because 
everyone's having a great time. I literally just came from the cafe just before and one of the staff members here caught me, Ryan, and he told me how excited he was and how his corset didn't arrive. So yeah, there's a lot of excitement about it. I mean, I wasn't prepared for the amount of props. There's a scene where Dr. Frankenfurter proposes a toast at dinner and I wasn't ready for it because I had not been to a live session before, but then cold toast started flying around the cinema because that's apparently what people do. It's a really great vibe and everyone leaves and says, oh, we've got to do more of that. We've got to do more of that. So mm. we can do more of that and people support it. We're so keen. Are there benefits to dressing up and getting involved in this sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when we talk about cinema, I think you were talking before about some of the streaming video on demand services that you've got that flexibility to be able to watch content at your own pace. But the beauty about this, it's live entertainment. It is actually an experience and that's what cinemas are. So if you can heighten that experience in any way, shape or form by participating as an audience member, I think that is the future of film because, you know, I have a very big TV at home. It's great. I turn it off and I go to bed and I watch movies on my iPhone in bed. The size of it doesn't really matter. And that's why things like Avatar Way of Water does so well. Or even Barbie to a point. People wanted to go and see Barbie. I really didn't think I'd be bringing up Barbie today. Um, <laughs> they went and saw it, not because they wanted to see the film. They wanted to say they saw it in the cinema with their friends as part of an experience. So, no, I think you can't underplay the importance of audience buy-in. And just touching on Barbie as well, that's the same kind of move where people dressed up. So we yeah. had people on opening day for Barbie at 12 o'clock midday coming through, all dressed up. We had Barbies, we had Kens, we had all sorts coming through. Mm-hmm. And then Taylor Swift. So we've got the Eras tour on at the moment as well. And again, every single session we've got people dressed up, whether or not there's, you know, Taylor impersonators or there's just massive fans basically with, you know, Taylor shirts, custom made, all their friendship bracelets, all that sort of thing as well. Don't have to deny the Marvel movies, all that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. So sessions that feel the best and that feel the most ambience around are the ones where people are dressed up. You've seen all the characters, you've complimented people on their outfits in the foyer, you might have had a cheeky drink or two. And then you go in and you get to watch it with people you know are just as keen to see it as you. And I think that's the main draw card around dressing up because if you're willing to go to all that length, it means you'd want to be there. And you absolutely missed out one of the most important things, which is the pick for the gram. Because <laughs> people take pictures and stuff and they upload it and that just extends that community even further. It's a kind of form of natural advertising. Yes, we're very grateful. Finally, talking about the event itself, Halloween at Belgrave Cinema. Can audiences expect anything special from this event in comparison to your regular screening? We've definitely got a lot more going on. Last year was a bit of a struggle to actually find some relevant content. So we're trying to do it as a bit of a series of movies because the stars are sort of aligned really well. There's a lot of good releases coming out even now if you want to get an early look in, but if you want to watch a whole bunch. So we've got a few different things on. Nightmare Before Christmas will actually be before this film. So if anyone's keen to do a double whammy, feel free to come ahead of that one as well. For this one, we're sort of going bigger. So last year when we did it, look, it was just post-COVID sort of times. We didn't necessarily have a massive turnout. I think we had 40 or 50 people. Mm. So this year we're trying to go bigger. We want to fill the place. We want people to feel like they're engaged. We'll have themed cocktails in the foyer. We'll have ambient music, all the good stuff that we usually do, but just more of it, basically. You'll also be able to catch a couple of horror films on afterwards as well. So if you want something a little bit more gritty after, I believe it'll be sore. 10 is one of the options that we've got there. And then Five Nights at Freddy's will be the other film as I'll well, which is a little bit more subdued. Mm-hmm. And then on Tuesday as well, just to complete the Halloween at Belgrade, because that's actually Halloween night, there'll be a bit of an option for a marathon. So we'll have about four films ready to go. So depending if you can get off work or not, you'll be able to come along for a whole bunch. I think one of the things to mention is, again, it's a community asset in that the reason that UNE and UNE Life has such an interest in the Belgrade is that we are able to meet the community's demands. So 
there are gaps where we don't have solid content. So if the community do want to see a particular film, they only need to ask and support it. There's enormous resources out there through sites like Fanforce where we can actually demonstrate need in the community. Where we do struggle is where we put these on and people don't come. So all I'd say is if people are listening and they're wondering about whether to come or not, please come. It's so important because it certainly shows us we're in the right direction, but it demonstrates that community need. Now, before we close, do you want to give one final promo for the show? The Rocky Horror Picture Show screening Saturday on the 28th of October at 6.40pm. Arrive about at least 6.30, maybe even 6.20. But yeah, 28th of October, Rocky Horror Picture Show at the Belgrave Cinema in Armidale. Dress up, have fun. Very nice. Well, thank you for coming and speaking with us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Behind the Curtain with Nick Troon, recorded in TuneFM Studios at the University of New England on Anawan Country. To view the latest episodes and TuneFM's other programs, visit tunefm.net or search TuneFM on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast fix. Finally, make sure you're following TuneFM on Facebook and Instagram for the latest updates on new episodes. That's it for today's episode. My name's been Nick, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>